Welcome to Rugged Theology, where we talk about church planting, theology, and drink coffee. Welcome to another episode of Rugged Theology. I'm Adam Diamond, your host, and we are going to continue our last conversation uh, about what Calvinism is and isn't. So again, I have with me Mr. David Drover. Hey, everybody. Mr. John Lewis. Hello again. And Mr. Stephen Da. Hello. Yeah. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> what is going on? I'm not unwell, thank you. It's a Thursday afternoon. It feels like Friday, though. Maybe we need to get our silly too. Um, but uh, yeah, guys, so I think we had a really good conversation last time um, on a few aspects of you know Calvinism and also Reformed theology. Uh, but today is going to be some more, um, we'll say, emotional questions, maybe sometimes for people. Uh, so the first one that we have here, we'll just get right into it. Are we just robots that God is controlling because he is sovereign over everything? So I don't know which way you want to take that first, but what do you think? Are we, If God is in control of absolutely everything, then doesn't that just make us robots? Well, I think there's uh, a bit of what's called an excluded middle er- uh, error going on here. Uh, what the actual Calvinist position is, isn't that you know, we don't believe in any form of free will. In fact, uh, I have here the London Baptist Confession of Faith from 1689, which is one of the standard-bearer Calvinistic kinds of positions. Now, buddy. And uh, in chapter 9, it's of free will. It says, God hath endued with the free will of man with that natural liberty and power of acting upon choice, that is, neither forced nor by any necessity of nature determined to do good or evil. But... Man, uh, paragraph three, man by his fall into a state of sin hath wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man, being altogether averse from that good and dead in sin, is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself thereunto. So the idea here is that while we do actually have the ability to choose, the fact is we would never choose the right thing. It's not that we are robots predestined to do specific tasks within uh, within what we are set in a trail to do. The, we do what we want to do. The problem is that we always want to do evil. Mm-hmm. It's not. Uh, whereas if there was a robot, we're talking a robot is an automaton that's been set with specific actions that it must do, not that it has any desire or will to do them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, we do have a will. Yeah, I think a helpful example for me that I heard from Steve Bray, which he might have heard from somebody else. I have no idea if this is original or not. Um, But thinking about if you put like a lion in a cage and then if you put two plates in front of him, one had like, you know, a nice piece of meat. Mm -hmm. Another had a big old thing of broccoli. If you open up the cage, the lion has a choice to make. He can either go and he can eat the steak or he can go and he can eat the broccoli Every time, the lion's going to go and choose to eat the meat because that's what his nature is. Mm-hmm. He still willfully chooses the meat. It's what he desires. It's what he wants to do. But he's he's going to be consistent because his choice is affected by his nature. So in the same way, kind of tackling what Steve just said, our nature, because of the fall, is a sinful nature. 
going back to that confession, you know, we don't, we don't choose God. Mm-hmm. We have, we do have a choice, but because of our nature, our choice, it, it it's, it's affected and, and we choose to not follow God. We choose to disobey and we choose to love and desire our sin naturally instead. And of course, it's important to note that the lion isn't, you know, bemoaning his fate in, oh dear, I have to eat the meat. I wish I could choose the broccoli, but <laughs> uh, I, I'm just bro- bound to not be able to do the broccoli thing. Mm-hmm. It's it, He's going to joyfully, willfully choose the steak. He does choose it. It is his desire, but we know he's going to do it 10 times out of 10. And and I think we see this too in John's gospel. So if you go to John, I mean, everybody knows John 3.16, but if you read to to the end of that uh, paragraph to verse 21, um, I'm just looking where to start here now. Um, oh, screw it. I'll just start from John 6, 3.16. So it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We We hear that all the time. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And, and get this. Here's, the, here's one of the important parts for this conversation anyways. It's all important. But, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not want to come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So there we see there's a clear, just as Steve was saying about the line, he's not bemoaning his choice. Mm. As people who live in darkness, we don't, we, we actually love the darkness. We hate the light. We don't want our evil to be exposed. We, we love it. We desire it. Um, and I think that's what we see in Scripture. I mean, that's just one passage, but um, I think that's a consistently... I don't know if you guys have ever... Uh, talking about robots. <laughs> I just I just recently got a subscription to Disney Plus, so thank yes. you, income tax refund in my wife's uh, Love Disney Plus. back pay. So that's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Futurama is on there. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but there's a robot, and basically everything that is wrong in this show is summed up in this robot bender. Right, he drinks, he smokes, he, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he does everything. Um, but in one of the first episodes, um, he's talking about how he's programmed to bend, but he's only programmed to bend girders. That's all he's ever done. And uh, they get put in jail or something, and uh, he's like, you know, the main character Fry is like, you know, Bender, you, you bend things. Like, can't you just bend the bars and get us out of there? And he's like, oh, I've, I've never done that before. I can't go against my own programming. Um, but, uh, you know, it just goes to show that, you know, what Steve was talking about programming, but now he does, he does learn to bend other things, but in, in the process of bending those bars, I'm pretty sure his arms fall off because <laughs> he went against his programming. Yeah. Uh, but that to be a Calvinist, you have to have no arms. <laughs> well, no, I guess if you just go against your programming, if you're a robot, your arms will fall off. No, uh, uh but no, it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good illustration of the fact that, you know, robots are program for a specific purpose for a specific function and they can't go outside their programming yeah i i guess to sum up kind of what we've been talking about the answer to the question is no we're not if you know the calvinist belief is not that we're all a bunch of robots we still fully believe that there's a choice Hmm. um that everybody makes we just believe that that choice is affected by our natures um and in order to eventually choose god 
we need God to sovereignly work to change our hearts, which is the language that I think yeah. we even mentioned it last time about being born again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God replacing our heart with a, from a heart of stone with a heart of flesh, these kinds of things um, that we see throughout Scripture. Yeah, and, and also, like, you know, the aspect of control, I, I've heard it foolishly said in the past, um, you know, if God is sovereign, he has control of everything. Well, I guess that means he controlled me when I sinned, too. It's like, no, that's it's not, you know, you're maligning the understanding there, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's And we're not robots. You yeah, know? it's like that middleman that Steve was uh, mentioning mm-hmm. that, you know, we still do have some function of our own will. Um, it's usually just opposite of what God would have for us. And I think we, we talked, we had the episode earlier on, um, much earlier on. On sovereignty. On sovereignty. I was just thinking about that too. And uh, Steve, you brought up how um, God superintends over our will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what we intend, God superintends over what we intend. Mm. So kind of like, a, you know, a classic one, Joseph. When Joseph is thrown into the well and sold and... You know, he goes through all these all up, ups and downs, yeah, <laughs> in in Egypt, and uh, then his brothers come, and know he forgives somebody. He says, "No, what you intended for evil, God meant for good." Uh, so that's God superintending. So you know, humanity, we we did evil acts, or his brothers did evil acts, and then God was able to work above and beyond that, but turn those evil acts into a wonderful thing. And of yeah. course, this is kind of a difficult thing because. We're, we've all kind of grown up in a world where causality was kind of uh, lowered down to the, to you know, well, whatever one thing is the ultimate thing is the total cause of everything. Uh, just read an example in a book on a completely different topic. Uh, Carl Truman uses the example of, in his uh, theology classes, he says to people, is it true that the, on September 11th, 2001, mm-hmm. the Twin Towers fell because of lowered structural integrity, and gravity. And of course, that is true. Those, those are causes of the Twin Towers falling, but they're not the totality of the causes involved. Mm-hmm. So to say that you know God actually superintends things doesn't mean that the intentions in between or in even beneath, beneath those are any less there. Yeah, we can probably have you know, a podcast later on uh, i think we will on the problem of evil and kind of how you know people approach that because that's another thing right i mean yeah we have our our semblance of will and we can do evil but why even allow that to begin with but we can get into it uh, much yeah the sovereignty discussion goes a lot bigger but i guess for today we're kind of more focusing on the salvation yeah yeah and like you know section of it. if we're just robots then why would you know what's going to the next question here um why is God choosing to save some if God chooses? Or like, you know, you said, Dave, no, he, we need him to, you know, sovereignly act and, you know, in, instill with us faith. If God is the one choosing who to save and who not to save, then why is he even creating people who are specifically going to hell? Well, uh, I mean, you know, not to be flippant about it, but let's face it, the Bible answers this one, like, directly. Actually, Paul is dealing with it in Romans chapter 9, specifically, Mm -hmm. where he says, You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But, you know, that that is the actual argument you're you're enunciating there, that, you know, because God actually predestines to heaven or hell, creates some that go to hell, why would he find fault with the people who are going to hell? I mean, that seems remarkably unfair. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, I mean, and, and... 
emotionally speaking, this is not an easy ta task because, you know, Paul says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has not the potter no right, or sorry, has the potter had no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he hath prepared beforehand for glory? even us who he is, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but from the Gentiles. And then and he continues on into the into his uh, the major point of the argument. But the idea that some people will say that, you know, uh, God created some people to go to hell thus means that, you know, he's somehow unfair or mm -hmm. unacceptable would be wrong. But uh, there is there are actual reasons behind it. I mean, in one case here to show the glory of he, of what he has in salvation, because if you're not saved from anything, well, then it's not really salvation, is it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I think a popular misunderstanding as well is that we're all going to hell without Jesus, mm -hmm. right? So it's not, it's not necessarily God is creating some specifically for hell. We're all, you know, going to hell if we don't follow Jesus. Right. Um, but that, you know, God elects, elects some or chooses some, and that some being many, it's not just like there's five people going to heaven or like, right. you, know, mm -hmm. you know, five of the seven billion current people, or it's not, not like that. Some as in not all. Yeah. Not some as in just a couple. Right. And, uh, you know, those are, you know, chosen and they're, they're, they're saved by grace through faith to the glory of God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that's uh, just to point out again that this is not something we're coming up with an ad hoc response to a question that 20th century uh, Armenian Christians have uh, leveled on Calvinism. The, again, the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 3, paragraph 3. By the degree of God for the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestined or foreordained to eternal life through Jesus Christ, to the praise of his glorious grace. Others, and notice it's not uh, being left to the to act in their sin, to their just condemnation, to the praise of his glorious justice. Mm -hmm. It's, again, we have to actually hold in our heads the fact that we are actually choosing to sin. It's not that, you know, uh, we have a gun to our head and, you know, oh no, if only it weren't for God uh, predestining me to evil. No, mm -hmm. you're evil. You choose evil. You like it. That's why you do it. <laughs> and, yeah. and just to emphasize something here. So I've been reading through the book of Ezekiel just, just kind of personally um, and kind of emphasizing that point and also connecting it back to what Adam said about how everybody, um, you know, is created going to hell. There's kind of that misassumption in the question almost. Um, everybody is created going to hell and then God saves some. But anyways, as I've been reading through Ezekiel, if, I'm not going to necessarily read it out because it's a fairly long chapter, um, and there's some words that some people might not like. They're kind of uncomfortable. But in chapter 16, um, God is talking about the nation of Israel and how he created them and helped them and, and did so much for them, but then how they chose to then, as they grew up, to basically turn away from God. Mm -hmm. And he uses some really powerful um, and not, I don't mean powerful in a good way, shockingly powerful as in, oh, stink, like that's, that's really harsh. Um, imagery and language to describe Israel's sin and their idolatry 
And that's the same kind of, you know, that the sin that they have is no different from the sin that we have. Every time that we desire something more, we put more valuable value in something other than God, we are creating idols in our own heart. So our sin is a very serious thing. So if you're wondering kind of, if you're wrestling with the tension of how could, like, why is it that we're all created going to hell? What is the seriousness of my sin? I, I would encourage you, go read Ezekiel 16 and just read that and, and say, well, is is sin here really that serious? Like, my sin is this serious mm-hmm. as it is the Israelites to God. Um, so really just to get that serious picture of, of sin, I'd, I'd encourage you to go read that because we all are sinners. Um, and like Steve said, we, we choose that. Um, Israel, they chose to go and worship other things. They chose to, um, yeah, do do other things. They chose to sin. Um, and with that, you know, obviously just affirming what Steve said too in Romans, I think it's 9 and 10. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, ultimately the answer, as much as it makes, I think even us around the table who would be Calvinists uncomfortable um, because it is not, I mean, it's an uncomfortable thing. Um, but it seems to us that as we read scripture that, the reason kind of the answer to the question is because God wants to glorify himself in both his love and mercy and salvation, but also in his justice. Um, and that means that people are going to have to pay for sin. And actually, every sin's paid for. It's just whether or not it's paid by Christ on the cross or by the sinner themselves. Right. And of course, the issue, I think, in some cases, there's we like to think that this is kind of a just an academic exercise. The fact is, there's kind of a dark underbelly to this question as well. Like, the fact is, we as humans don't like to accept responsibility for sin, though we do like to accept glory for our own, our own benefits. So it's easier, we, we would love to be able to blame God for our sin. And so we will actually use things to try and, try and do that. But, I mean, I hate to say it, because, you know, I am a sinner like everyone else, mm-hmm. but we're responsible for the things we choose. And this isn't oh, yeah. something that you can just, you know, figure out overnight, no. No. right? How your will, you know, intersects or kind of goes along with God's will, who is overall, above all. Is <laughs> but, but I think, too, yeah. we have to be careful because we have a predisposition to impugn people who are not us and to exonerate ourselves. We all have the internal lawyer Mm -hmm. who is always putting our own actions in the best possible light Mm -hmm. and somebody else's actions in the worst possible light. I mean, this before we even talk about this kind of thing in the more abstract sense of God, I mean, the fact is, generally speaking, when I'm driving, I I get mad at the person who cut me off. I don't get mad at myself for speeding in the lane that I shouldn't have been speeding in. Like, it's always somebody else's fault, mm-hmm. even though in a lot of cases it's my fault too. Um, that's one of the problems that we sometimes come to with forgiveness. It's easier for us to see the evil in others than in ourselves. And of course, that that in our worst situations, that extends even to God. We will try to find ways that God is to blame for what is in fact our sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... Uh, when I was a young Christian, I remember trying to figure out some of this. And the pastor I was talking to told me, he said, you know, humans uh, will spend their lives trying to figure out God, and you're not going to be able to. Our our, our um, view of understanding is pretty narrow, 
God's is very broad because he's omniscient. And um, so when you're trying to look at this, like, well, how come some people have salvation and others don't? I don't think in the end, like, human beings are going to be able to figure that out on their own. You just got to trust in God and uh, understand that he does what he does for reasons that, you know, go beyond us. And I remember he pointed out that passage in, in Romans 9, in verse 16, it says, it doesn't depend on human will or exertion, but on God. He is the one who has mercy. So we just trust in that. But I think, too, I want to I jump on that a little bit, because, I mean, even now, kind of talking about this, it's kind of a sobering thing to talk about because of the reality of, of hell and the fact that people will go there, that people will go there. But on the flip side, if we were all creating, created going to hell because of our nature, because of our sin, the fact that God chooses to save, again, not some as in a couple, but many, um, that's an amazing thing. And I, I recommended that everybody go read Ezekiel 16 to see that picture of Israel's sin and just how serious it is. But what I also love about the chapter is that at the end of it, God makes a promise and he says, I will establish my covenant with you and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame. When I atone for you, for all that you have done, declares the Lord God. So after spending basically 60 verses Mm -hmm. of telling about how good God has been to them, and how bad they've been and how they've turned away from his goodness and rejected him, God still at the end says, I'm going to atone for you. And that's a that's a miraculous thing. And of course, that that atonement, that's what we see in the New Testament through Christ on the cross. Um, so the fact that it's kind of a sobering reality to realize that some are going to hell, but I think we also need to rejoice in the salvation and the glory of God and, and saving sinners. Um, there's definitely the the two sides of this so yeah if you're still like a little iffy about this you know approach because a lot of people at least in newfoundland um would be more predisposed to having an arminian view which i said you know in the earlier podcast we'll get into that view another time but uh if you're still kind of like i don't really know if i see it you know maybe you guys are you know you know uh, twisting it a bit or you're you're pulling at straws here i mean one thing that really uh, hit hit me and still hits me is uh, previous to what uh, Steve read out earlier, Romans nine, so verse ten, and not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not born yet and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of Him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. <laughs> I'm sorry, like that that's a sobering thing. I mean, again, this is we're not saying this is an easy topic that we can just come in and talk about this and be flipping about. No, I mean, this is this is a sobering thing that you know, before they were even born, God had already chosen, He had already elected before they had done good or bad. And I mean, again, Paul is like he he anticipates what people are gonna say. Um it goes on to say, what shall we say then? Is there, is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has 
mercy. Uh, and then it goes on further about Pharaoh and what Steve yeah. read. Um, but this is a thing, right? We don't deserve forgiveness. Nope. Right? Nope. We, we were born into sin. Um, the first man and woman, they chose their way. They chose their sin. They actively rebelled against God in the beginning. This is basically where we put ourselves. And it's not what we deserve. Like, how can we really shake our fists at God and say, how dare you when we are not deserving well, like how presumptuous of us to think, God, you have to show me mercy. Well, and of course, that's going to be an, that you've uh, you've kind of undercut the the when you say, Lord, you have to show me mercy. <laughs> <laughs> well, then no, no, that's not mercy. That's actually something I'm required that that's required of you. Mm-hmm. Mercy, by its very nature, is something that we don't deserve. And of course, this is the other side of the of this whole thing. Uh, one, the good news of this is that, to be honest with you, if you're listening today and you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ, there is nothing that you have done that bars you mm-hmm. from God, because it isn't something that you do that gets you accepted by God. It's something He has done. Amen. This is not about what we do. Um, and th- again, these are some deeper questions. These are some thoughts that can hurt your head. Um, especially when you were no finite beings yeah. thinking about the infinite, and it's just yeah, you just you, sometimes your brain just hurts and just stops working for a bit. I don't mind shuts down every now and then, uh, but or a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's Sorry, fair. I had to. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, this is not about what we have done. And again, like it's the same thing. We don't just say, oh, you know, that person is obviously not one of the elect. No, like. We want uh, all, if possible, to come to know Jesus, but we know it's not going to happen because people reject the message, people reject, you know, Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do want as many as possible, and that's why we preach, that's why we evangelize, that's why we tell people about the gospel. Mm-hmm. And also, I think that's a good thing for us to maybe say, because a lot of people potentially might hear kind of this new, well, it's not new theology, but um, it might be new to them. New to them, yeah, yeah. And it might be simple for some to then question, well, how do I know that I'm one of these elect people? Mm. Um, and well, just to make sure that we're not kind of leading anybody astray, we're basically, I mean, to put it very simply, if you have a real trust and a real faith in Christ, then you are one of the chosen. There's no like, you have to do a special thing. There's no like, oh, I had faith, but God didn't. The fact that you have faith is evidence that you are... Yeah part of the elect. This isn't some like weird, like different gospel of how you need to get saved. This is still the same gospel where what we need to be saved is faith in Christ. Now, of course, the Bible does talk a great deal about, you know, making sure you're calling election and and to, you know, show this. Because, I mean, the fact is there are people who can be deceived about it. You can, Mm -hmm. you could be deceived about this, whether or not you are the elect or not the elect. But the question isn't going to be whether or not you're part of the elect. Mm. The question is, do you love God Mm -hmm. and do you trust Jesus? Mm -hmm. And the reason that that works in the system is because, again, if we were, if our hearts were once disposed to always choose evil to be opposed to God, and we need God to sovereignly act in order for us to choose faith. Mm-hmm. Well, then if we're choosing faith, then God has saved us. That's that's how this yeah. works out. That's evidence that God has actually transformed our heart. The faith is an outcome of that. Um, so that's how this, again, we're, 
because this is the thing. I mean, we could talk so much. I'm hoping we'll have more episodes on this. But, um, you know, this this theology of Calvinism, it really does work very well together. Um, yeah. And it's hard to get when you're kind of just talking about points and points, but until you really get to see kind of the... And that's why also it's not something that just clicks overnight necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, it's probably, I think for all of us here, we've probably been on a long journey to kind of yeah. learn about this and, and figure it out. So definitely if you're out there and you're like, what is all this stuff? Like, don't feel like you need to sort it out in a week, even a month. This could take a few years and more. I mean, we're all still oh, learning about it now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, one major thing for me was trying to logically come to a conclusion of where each position finds itself. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's so easy for, you know, people outside of Calvinism to point and say, you guys just believe that God is just purposely creating people for hell because he chooses who to be saved. But, when I started looking at, okay, what's the logical conclusion of what I grew up with, which is Arminianism. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm like, okay, so if I believe that God is, you know, through his foreknowledge is able to, is creating everyone, and the ones he chooses are the ones that he's able to look down through time, and he knows, okay, Dave, I see that, you know, when you're 20 years old, you're going to choose to follow me, so I know that before I create you, so therefore I choose you uh, to be part of the elect. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, is that He's still creating people he knows aren't going to choose him. Mm-hmm. So you still have to wrestle with the fact <laughs> that God is still creating people who are going to hell. So it's not just, it, it, it's not a way that you can just point your finger and say, you guys are flawed. No, this is something I think we all need to deal with. And we all need to be humble when we come to the table and say, mm-hmm. this is not an easy thing to talk about. This is something you're allowed to wrestle with. Absolutely. But like we said, the ultimate thing is where is your faith placed? And just to add on to that too, because I love what you just said and how you summarized that, but also it's an important thing for us to figure out and talk about because of, I mean, in the questions that you asked, I mean, they're they're about, even last week, mm-hmm. about evangelism, about making disciples and, and stuff like that. So these are really important Topics also assurance is another like depending yep. on where you fall on this it, it says a lot to your assurance and things like that so again it's an important thing for us to to study and to figure out not that we need to have all the answers but it's it's an important to, to wrestle with it because it does inform how we go out and we evangelize or how we tell others um, about the assurance of salvation that we have et cetera et cetera so it's it's challenging uh, it's very thought provoking. But I also think it's very spiritually rewarding yeah. when you do take the time to study it and learn about it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even just, I mean, we've had these conversations in the office multiple times, um, but sitting around with brothers and even, you know, sometimes sisters when they're, you know, Jennifer or Bonnie or Dana's even around, we can all talk about this together um, and just see different approaches, you know, people ask different types of questions in the U.S. It's, it's rewarding to sit around and talk about our God and what we believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but on that note, um, thank you guys so much, guys, for uh, finishing off this episode and uh, these questions. If you're listening, again, the ultimate thing is that is your faith placed in Christ? Do you, yeah. you know, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, mm-hmm. that he died for your sins, resurrected, um, and that you're saved only through faith alone in him by God's grace? That's what matters, and then we work out the rest as we grow, as we mature. As Dave said, you know, we don't go thinking, go, please don't get caught up in, like, am I one of the elect? These guys are going around. Do you have some sort of elect stamp you stamp people with? There's <laughs> nothing like that. <laughs> but, no, you you know by the fruit you produce. is the Holy Spirit producing fruit in your life, and we can talk about that on another podcast. 
but thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope this is challenging as well as it was for us. Uh, and again, as always, if you have any questions, if you have any you notes know, you want to bring, bring up or even challenge us on some things, feel free to reach out. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram, and even our Mile One Mission website. So with that said, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again next week. You have been listening to Rugged Theology. Rugged Theology is a podcast of Mile One Mission. If you'd like to know more about Mile One Mission and our work in Newfoundland, please visit us at www.mileonemission.ca.